Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I have the pleasure to talk with Carla Schlags, LMFT, the founder of California Integrative Counseling Center, a group practice in San Francisco. She specializes in therapy with couples and individuals that have relational issues, feelings of burnout, are anxious, and more specifically, are diagnosed with ADHD. Her practice takes an integrative approach to treating ADHD, anxiety, depression, and other mood disorders. Her group provides individual, couples, and group therapy and collaborates with psychiatrists, coaches, and other members of their clients' networks of providers. In her clinical work, she thrives in helping clients through difficult life transitions and supporting them in finding their own well of strength. In recent years, she has been supporting her clients launch into their next developmental stages. For many young people, this means managing relationships, becoming parents, and balancing highly demanding careers. Today, we talk about her integrative approach to ADHD treatment. Welcome, Carla. Thank you. I've been drawn to your practice because I've been so curious about the work that you do that centers around treatment of ADD. Yeah. You know, most of our practice is working with adults with ADHD, and we work with adults also with life transitions or who have anxiety, depression relationship issues, but the bulk of it is ADHD, which we're seeing a lot of adults come in who haven't been diagnosed in childhood. So it's been an interesting journey to come to this. But I'm sure people come to you who don't know that that's their diagnosis. And I'm assuming the first step is the diagnosis. It is. And, you know, diagnosis is such an interesting question still. Like, I think that when people come to our practice, one of the things I'm always asking when they want to get diagnosed is what is your end goal, right? Like some people are coming and they are looking for medication, only medication, right? So then I'm referring them to a psychiatrist. Other people want a neuropsych and we're referring them out to some, a center that does like a full neuropsychological exam. But we do provide a diagnosis as licensed MFTs. That's a combo of a clinical interview and some paper and pen tests. So it's comprehensive and it's kind of, it's, it's what the standard for our licensure is. Got it. And maybe also very briefly for the listener, people may not know what neuropsych testing is. And I know that's a whole, I have a whole podcast episode of it, but quick, <laughs> quick discussion about what that is. Yeah. We'll send them to the podcast. I mean, you know, when I have people who come in and I really want them to go get a neuropsych, one of the things that will clue me off to that is if they think that they have dyslexia a processing disorder, like an auditory processing disorder, a learning disability that might be co-occurring. And a neuropsych exam is like a full psychological battery of tests. So often people go multiple times. They may talk to family members for people who are under 18. They're working with your school, your teachers. When we have people come in who might say like, I want to get accommodations for the LSATs, right? That is a time where I really want people to get a neuropsych evaluation. So, and it's amazing when, when people do have them, I think it carries through, you know, the averages, it'll carry through a number of years. So people will come in and it's a really comprehensive piece of information for myself, 
for other providers to know kind of what has happened in the client's life. Right. And yeah. I, I think of it as this verification of diagnosis. Yes. Yeah. In a way that is can sometimes be helpful. Sometimes isn't helpful, but right. in some cases it's necessary and important. Yeah. Right. Okay. So someone ha- gets the diagnosis either mm-hmm. through your clinical interviews or through neuropsych testing, then what? So, you know, one of the things that we do is we do individual therapy. When someone gets a diagnosis, I often want to get have them go see a psychiatrist and do a med eval. I think that a med evaluation, the, the gold standard of ADHD treatment right now is doing a combo of cognitive behavioral therapy and medication. So we often will collaborate with clients, psychiatrists, and we'll start them in individual therapy. And it's cognitive behavioral therapy. And, you know, for some people, once they get started in individual therapy, we will also incorporate them into a group. So our practice also runs groups. And we're not dialectical behavior therapists, but a few of us really do enjoy that practice of kind of like individual therapy aligned with group therapy and seeing the transformation that happens when you do that. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of go to the first thing that you talked about is this collaboration and sending to a psychiatrist, because I love the word collaboration. And I think it's such an important part of clinical care. What happens in that collaboration between you and the prescriber? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that I, I really enjoy about collaborating with psychiatrists is we often have a different lens. So we will evaluate and look at things a little bit differently, and we'll often have seen like the quote unquote problem, right? The shape of it is different. So there's different insights. And we also can really, we can help the client move forward saying, I think that the client knowing that we're collaborating and working together helps. That's a big part of it is kind of just looking at it together, looking at what are the next steps, you know, helping for the treatment plan. And then also if there are changes, like sometimes I see clients a lot more regularly than their psychiatrists do. Often their psychiatrists are seeing them once every three months. And so if something happens, then if I have that relationship built, I can call and say, hey, I just want to give you a heads up that maybe someone's had a breakup or lost their job or, you know, that I'm seeing signs of depression and I want you to know. So that's yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that because you were kind of the eyes on the ground. Um, right. That weekly you, presence, right? Yes. That, and you kind of are much more involved in the pulse of what's happening in someone's life. And I heavily rely on therapists to keep me updated on things that happen. I mean, I also think about situations where maybe a psychiatrist starts someone on a medication and maybe it doesn't work that well. Mm-hmm. And that's actually really important feedback that a therapist can give to a psychiatrist of like, yeah, maybe it works for these things, but it's not really helping for these other things. Right. And it makes you maybe think about the diagnosis a little bit more or the choice of medication too. It definitely does. I mean, one of the things that we look at is sleep hygiene and lifestyle. So when I'm doing the beginning phases of therapy and when they're kind of starting with the meds, I'm really looking at like, how's your sleep? What are your daily rituals, your exercise, your diet? And clients will, you know, say, I think my medication is, you know, giving me or I'm having difficulty sleeping. And then I can really recommend that they go back and chat with their psychiatrist. And then we can build off of the behavioral tools of like, okay, are you, is this a medication issue or are you not winding down at night? Do you need to create more of a ritual and a schedule? And I think that the other thing that is really helpful for a lot of psychiatrists is when I do couples therapy, 
and I have the lens of their partner because, you know, when I meet with a couple and I think that there's a lot more work coming out around couples where there is one person or both have ADHD and that neurodiversity and what that couple really needs, right? And so I think as any family systems therapist, that when we bring family members, partners in, we get more information. So that is often an amazing (laughs) moment where I can get a lot of information. Yeah. So two things I'm thinking of. One is you had mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy for Mm -hmm. ADD. And I feel like we need an hour to talk about that or more, but (laughs) what does that mean? What does cognitive behavioral therapy for ADD mean? What does it look like? Yeah. So cognitive behavioral therapy, the way that I often describe it is that it's a marriage between the way that we think about things, our narrative, our belief system, how we look at the problem, and then our behaviors. And what we're working on with clients is goal-oriented therapy. So a lot of the times people come in and they're like, I've been talking about my ADHD for years and I really want to do something about it. So it's active goal-oriented therapy, but it's also looking at that underbelly of how do you see yourself? What's your self-esteem? What's your inner narrative? That cognitive side with rejection-sensitive dysphoria, which is kind of the newest, latest term that is really describing the emotional dysregulation and that aspect of ADHD. And I think that cognitive behavioral therapy is one way that we are treating RSD, definitely in collaboration with psychiatrists who are prescribing medication for it. But as we understand the emotional dysregulation and what to do with it, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy is really helpful. And what are some common themes that people come in with in terms of desire to change about their ADD? I mean, they want to be able to attend to things more, be less distracted, but what are kind of common themes that you really do see pop up over and over again? So the population that I'm working with, many of my clients are really highly successful, creative, amazing young people. And Often what they're coming in wanting to know is like, you know, I have this stuck point in my life. I just can't get things done. Or I keep getting the same feedback at work, you know, difficulty in relationships. And I want to fix it. So a lot of the times it's having trouble getting things done, that task completion. It's they're able to do these really high level things. So I have clients who are CEOs, lawyers, artists highly successful in specific areas of their life, but kind of the boring mundane aspects, they just can't get through. And it causes a lot of frustration. As you can imagine, it causes a lot of issues in relationships because they partner and from a bird's eye view, someone next to them is like, why can't you do pay the bills, clean the house? And one thing we know about people with ADHD is they don't produce as much dopamine. And so when we think about task completion, we need to create more reward systems for them, kind of build that cascade of rewards, tips to get them towards the completion of the task, because as a neurotypical person would feel amazing after they finish their dissertation or send off the slide deck, someone with ADHD is kind of like, you know, they don't feel that same kick of dopamine. So those are some of the the main complaints, I'd say. 
Got it. The group thing. I'm drawn to your therapy group because Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of therapists who offer group therapy for ADD. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what happens in those groups. Yeah. The group has been amazing. So we're running a pretty structured group right now. It's about 10 weeks long. And the beginning phase is coming to terms with your ADHD, you know, using tool sets like what would you say to your childhood self if you were to give them recommendations or kind of say something to support them. So it starts with kind of the softer part, but then a lot of what the group is, is teaching tools and techniques to manage the ADHD. So the group is fairly structured and we're, we're teaching, we're assigning take-home exercises that then they're completing in between each group session. And we're processing and also just, I think that feeling of, oh, someone else really understands me, sees me and has experienced this that's very similar to me. So that has been wonderful for the group. And it's interesting as we've seen like the take-home exercise, we call it the take-home exercise and not the homework because there's a lot of adverse reactions when you say homework to a group of ADHD folks, right? But, you know, we'll get about four or five weeks in and no one will have completed the homework. They all come in and they're like, none of us have done it. And I think even that moment of being like, it's okay. Like this is part of it, right? Part of what we're doing here is going through and learning. So we do a lot of time management, how to project plan, lifestyle, different things like that. Right. And it also kind of makes me think that there are some things about ADD, the ADD brain that people really like Mm -hmm. and what to let go of and what not to let go of. There's maybe a hesitancy to say, you know, there are certain things that actually make me who I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that there's talk in the ADHD world of that word deficit, not being part of the diagnostic label because so many people believe that it is a specific way that the brain works and that it's not necessarily a deficit, right? And I think even as we understand neurodiversity to be more that that there's lots of different ways that our brains can function and work, but yeah. So I guess kind of this thought is, I think of you as kind of doing a lot of integrative approaches to ADD treatment. And it sounds like you pull from working with psychiatrists, with neuropsychologists, right, for the diagnosis and a psychiatrist for the treatment with medication, and then just kind of examining really someone's lifestyle and kind of how they live their life with ADD and some behavioral shifts, some cognitive behavioral tips, some dialectical behavioral tips. I mean, it sounds like it really is this very kind of integrative, comprehensive approach to how you see it and how to treat it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think that the, like being able to pull in a partner, do couples therapy, we've done family therapy. One of the interesting components is that many adults now, their kids are getting diagnosed with ADHD And they're noticing, oh, wow, I think that that's actually comes from me. And that's something that has been inherent in my personality learning style. So pulling in family members and collaborating with providers is a big part of it so that we can work as a team. And I like how you talked about kind of removal of the word deficit from 
from the diagnosis and that's probably coming, but this idea that everyone's brain just works differently. And in terms of someone's ability to process information, right. And how to kind of be in the world, you're, we're on this continuum in a way. And I mean, what is maybe a deficit to somebody does not feel like a deficit to the next person. Ed Hollowell had this great quote who he's a big name. He wrote driven to distraction, which He said that an ADHD brain is like a Ferrari with bicycle brakes. (laughs) And so when we talk about, and I'll say that to clients sometimes and they laugh, right? And I think that it feels a lot different. It's like you can go as fast as a Ferrari and part of it is us learning how to slow you down, right? Because there is this hyper focus, which can be a superpower. It's amazing. It allows them to go so deep and really get deep into material that other people would not be able to go that far. But then it's how you stop. How do you break, right? How do we teach those tactical lessons and tools so that they have that? Right. Yeah. And you had mentioned someone kind of coming to you because of work issues. So, I mean, it could be adaptive. Mm -hmm. Someone is like, it's been helpful, their ADD brain until it's not. Right. Right. Until it starts causing problems. Right. And that's when people decide to seek treatment for it. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, some other providers that I collaborate with often are organizers, home organizers, coaches. So we'll refer people out to what parts of your life do you need to outsource? What parts do you need to get an assistant? Right. That that can be very true for some people and that even having that level of support can really just buffer and build their network. Right. I actually, it might be helpful for you to talk about kind of where your work ends and where an ADD coach begins. Mm -hmm. A lot of people ask that when they come in. I mean, I think we often will see clients where they're seeing a coach as well. I would say that where our work is different is that we're often going into the deeper realm of relational issues, family history. Oftentimes people will come having seen a coach and then realize that there's areas specifically with rejection sensitive dysphoria where they're like, I'm realizing that this pattern of response to criticism goes way back to childhood and I need to unpack it and I need to understand it and I want to manage it, right? It's showing up in my relationship. It's showing up at work. It's showing up with my kids. And so that's more the therapist's tool set. And maybe you can explain that a little bit. So you think that the rejection sensitive dysphoria mm-hmm. is kind of part of ADD. Yeah. You know, and it's, I read something recently that was saying that RSD is not necessarily innately from ADHD, but it's more a result of having lived in a world that is not ADHD friendly, right? So children with ADHD before the age of 12 often get way more critiques and criticisms than a neurotypical kid. And that carries through into adulthood, right? So they become hypervigilant to criticism and critique. I think as education and lots of different areas of our kids' lives change, right? Even the term neurodiversity is becoming so much more talked about that there will be less criticism. My son came home recently and told me that his teacher had praised him for doodling during class, that she encouraged it. She said, that's great. As long as you're paying attention, you can do something else as well, right? 10 or 15, 20, 30 years ago, that was not okay. We did not want kids to do that. We know that people with ADHD and a lot of kids for that matter, that that can be really helpful for. 
So this hypersensitivity to rejection because they were exposed to it so frequently due to their inattentiveness as a child, really. They have a hard time as an adult tolerating any sort of criticism because of that rawness of that experience. Yeah. And they have this knee jerk reaction that is so fast that it's often difficult to intercept with just CBT therapy. It's something that when I do collaborate with psychiatrists, with clients with RSD, the medication can be so helpful and important because we'll find that we'll do things like mindfulness or changing their narrative or CBT tools. And we just can't get in between that moment of the criticism and the response. And the response is often bigger than life, right? Maybe their partner says something to them and they have a response that's like 10 times what the normal response that would be. And the medication that's used helps them calm down so they can put some of the tools in place. Interesting. Yeah. Stepping away, doing deep breathing. We use a lot of dialectical behavior therapy. So um, different tool sets from that as well. How did ADD treatment become your thing? You know, that's a great question. I, early in my career, as many therapists do, I worked in behavioral mental health. I worked in a clinic and then in schools. And one of the things that I loved was helping families advocate in the IEP system, in the public school system in California. And then I ended up working in a group practice that specialized in ADHD. And, you know, I found that one of the things that I loved about it was that I was able to see progress. The clients were really engaged and excited to do the work. And another thing that I love about ADHD treatment is I feel like a lot of people will come to therapy for ADHD that may have never come to therapy before, right? So I get kind of a population that, yeah, just wouldn't have come in and sought mental health. And we'll do that kind of structured ADHD work. And then we'll get into the softer side of how their relationship or their identity or their family history. And it can be a real breakthrough. Well, thank you for enlightening us about your integrative approach to ADD. I mean, it seems like this should be how any clinician who focuses on ADHD or an ADD treatment should work because it's just such, there's so many factors at play and there's so many different ways to help someone improve. And it doesn't always look the same, even for the same person at different points in time. So Mm -hmm. I'm so glad to know that your group is here. And I love the idea of groups and individual therapy. It really is just kind of just seeing it from every different angle and trying all these different approaches makes sense to me. Great. Thank you, Josephine. I enjoyed it. So in the podcast description, I'll make sure I have your information. If there are other resources you want to share, we'll make sure we put that out there too for the list. Yeah. I have some wonderful books that I've read recently that I often will pass off to clients and a few apps and podcasts. So I'd be happy to share that. Great. Well, I'm excited to see those before we say goodbye, any parting words? For the listener? No, I've enjoyed this. I think that, like I often will say, is just getting someone who specializes in the the issue that you're treating is really important and it can help. All right. Well, thanks so much. I hope this this was so helpful for me. I hope it's been helpful for the listener. I think it is. So, all right. Take care. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and nine offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. 
visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.